Okay. You know, I heard Richard's message last night. Some of you were here last night for that too. And you know, it's just raw voice of God. Just, so just prepare yourself. Listen carefully because your world's going to be rocked and the blessing of heaven's going to flood you. Give Richard Larkham a warm welcome as he comes to talk to us today. Bible. That helps. Right, I need to practice now. Lillian, Caribou Medford. Is that how you say it? Yes, Caribou Medford. I've got to practice my Kenyan. Well, my, uh, my Keswahili, right? Okay, uh, I'm going to preach the gospel. What I'm not going to do today, though, is I'm not going to give an altar call at the end. What I'll do is I'll, I'll just lead us all in a prayer at the end. However, I do feel like some people are going to want to physically respond. So here's the deal. The altars are open. If you, uh, in the next 35 minutes while I'm preaching, feel like you want to respond physically, you don't have to, not for me, just if it's something before God you want to do, then just don't wait for me to finish, right? Just come on down. You can kneel or lie down or sit down. I'm not expecting that. I don't need that, but I'm just saying altars are open. Okay, so Mark chapter 10. We're going to read from verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Hallelujah. So let's picture the scene. There's Jesus on the road and they didn't have tarmac. We call it in England asphalt. It's just dirt, donkey dung. He's with his disciples, people around. Suddenly, someone comes running towards them. And he's well-dressed. He's wearing, he's wearing a Rolex and an Armani suit. Well, well, he's not. That would be anachronistic. But you get my point. He's wealthy. He's got a lot of money. He's well-dressed. And he dives into the dust, hands and knees, right in front of Jesus. And then he says, good teacher, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, that's heavy. I mean, this guy was serious. He asked the most important question anyone can ever ask. He asked the pressing question, the eternal question, the question that should be on everyone's mind right now on planet Earth around the world. What is going to happen when I die? Because no one lives forever. How do I know when I die I'm going to inherit eternal life? How do I know I won't go to hell? God will accept me and I'll go to heaven. It's the most important question. And the problem for us is we live in the most distracted generation in the history of the world. We have our screens and our social media and our Netflix binge watch box sets. We've got, we've got our, our, our stuff and our hobbies and our cars and our families and our lives are full. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad or wrong. They're not. But they do have a numbing effect, a distracting effect. So we don't feel the reality that we will die one day and we've got to know an answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers him in a curious way. He says, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, God alone. He doesn't go, don't call me good. He doesn't say, don't call me a good teacher. He just simply says, only God is good. All the religions of the world, I might be wrong on this, I think from talking to people from various different faiths, which is always a privilege, but it seems to me that everyone pays Jesus the respect of calling him a good teacher. He's a good teacher. He's a great teacher. He's the greatest moral teacher who has ever lived. He's a great prophet. He's an enlightened soul. But God? That's where the line tends to be drawn. But the plain teaching of the Bible, Jesus' own claims is that he is more than a good teacher. He is, in fact, God come to us in the flesh. He didn't know it. He was kneeling before the creator of the universe. And then he continues. Jesus, remember, he's answering a specific question. He, Jesus, then lists commandments. He actually lists six of the ten commandments. He, he jumps over the first four and he lists the final six. What's the point? If you want to go to heaven when you die, you have to keep the commandments. And then the guy, let's take him at his word. Like, let's say, maybe he was telling the plain truth of it. Teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And then there's this profound moment 
Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Let's see if we can get into this. I want you to use your imagination here. If it helps you to close your eyes, then do. If not, keep your eyes open, I don't care. But I want you to imagine this. You're the guy. You're on your hands and knees. You've got a little grit under your kneecaps, but you don't care. Dust between your fingers, but you don't care. People all around you have stopped now to watch, because what's this weirdo doing on his hands and knees in the middle of the day wearing an Armani suit? They're watching, but you don't care. You've got to get an answer to this question. And you look up into his face, and you look into his eyes, and you see pure love and all-knowing. Jesus looked at him. And this isn't just a story from 20 centuries ago. This is now. This is here in this room. This is Jesus looking into your heart. This is everyone in the world. Because you can't fake it with him. He's looking. Right now he's looking and he sees past all the masking and the pretense. He looks past that image of yourself you like to project to everyone else. He's looking past the image you think, your self-image, who you really think you are doesn't fool him. He looks through it, he looks down, he looks deep into the depths of your heart, every corner, every little shadowy place, every inkling of unbelief, any little bit of doubt, every word, every thought, every act that was unclean or unkind or wrong, all of it laid bare before the omniscient God and Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He accepts you. He's for you. He's not, this is God I'm talking about. He's not looking at you going, well, you better get your act together first. He's looking at you and he's loving you. And you can't hide anything from God. That fact was true then, that fact is true now. If you're listening to me online or on Fox 26, God bless you. Or maybe you've downloaded a message from 10 years ago. Hello from the past. <laughs> God bless you. But Jesus is looking into your heart right now. What does he see? And there as he stands in front of this man, Jesus looks into his heart and he sees the first commandment. Do you remember it? It's all the way back in Exodus 20. I'll read it to you. It goes like this. You shall have no other gods before me. And as Jesus looks into his heart, he sees the love of money. He did love God. He came running and jumped in the dust. He did love God, but he just didn't love God more than money. And Jesus said something about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. You can't serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God 
and money. There in his heart, the first commandment, broken. What about the second commandment? I'll read you that. You shall not make for yourself an idol. An idol is a physical manifestation of the polluted waters of a heart that loves something more than God. And he's there with his Rolex watch and his Armani suit. He's got his BMW M series car keys in his pocket. He's heading home to his hot tub and his swimming pool. These were for him, not for everyone. For him, because of his heart love, because he had he got money was his God. These things were idols. He had broken the second commandment. What about the third commandment? I'll read to you. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the first thing he said? Good teacher. To claim Jesus Christ is a good teacher merely and deny his divinity is blasphemy. He had broken the third commandment. What about the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I'm willing to bet you he was a Sabbath breaker. And the reason I can say that with a fairly high degree of certainty is for the last 10 years I've worked in the startup scene in London with founders and entrepreneurs starting tech businesses. And these guys are gifted, they are intelligent, they're sharp, they're visionary, they're, but work is their world. Rich, Sunday night email, can you just, can you just answer this question? I've got, I've got a sales meeting in the morning and I want to close this deal. Text message on a Friday night, there's an issue with the server, can you jump on, 11 p.m.? It doesn't matter. There's no nine to five. There's no, there's no five day working week. Money's everything. The Sabbath is the one day in the regular rhythm of life when you say, I will not serve money. I choose to get off the treadmill, off the, the hamster wheel of servitude to mammon. And I re-anchor my affections in God himself. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've already given me. I choose to enjoy it. This fourth commandment there, broken in his heart. This man was a sinner. And he's all of us. We're all sinners. He's the lawgiver and we have broken his laws. We're lost. Totally lost. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You've got to keep all the commandments. That makes us hell deserving sinners. But it doesn't feel real, does it? I mean, we don't like to talk about sin. It's not a popular word or a popular topic, right? We, we talk about mistakes. Yeah. We're all human, which we are. And we all make mistakes, which we do. I have my mistakes and she has her mistakes and, and, and they have 
their mistakes and, and we all make mistakes. And yes, that's true. All wrongdoings are mistakes as they touch one another. But when our mistakes touch God, they become sins. And at the root of it, it's not, it's not the individual things. The stealing or the adultery or the whatever, this and that. We could make a big horrid list. But at the root of it, self-sufficiency is our perversion. Self-sufficiency is our perversion. And that is something very terrible because you were made for him. He made you to find your, ha- your deepest joy and highest happiness in knowing, loving, obeying, and walking with him. So when you say, I don't need you, I'm the boss of me, that is the root of it. And still, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me as a preacher to get it across. Sin is so entirely normal and holiness is so completely abnormal, it is really hard for us because we live in a fallen world. So all we have are shades of grey. We don't know what white is. So I'm going to try, Holy Spirit, help. I'm going to try to show you in the Bible what sin does to God. In Genesis chapter 6, right before the flood and the animals and the ark and Noah, chapter 6 verse 5 says this, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. I can tell you with sincerity, I know what it feels like to have a heart filled with pain. It is horrible. It's traumatic. It's wounding. It's, it hurts. But my capacity to feel pain is limited because I'm human. God's capacity to feel pain is unlimited because he's God. He, in his great heart, gathers up all space and time. His heart has no limits. His capacity to feel grief cannot be comprehended. We have no idea what it does to him. The holiness of God is his utter intolerance of everything that degrades us, hurts us, or destroys us. Because he's love. Infinite love. As the mother hates the polio that would destroy her beloved child's life. So God hates the sin. That beats you out of shape. 
messes with your life, hurts you, ruins you, and ultimately pulls you down into ruin and hell. My God, help us. And there's Jesus peering into his heart and loving him. And I want you to notice, he doesn't make a list, right? He doesn't get his, his, his pen out and a piece of paper and say, right, come on now. Remember this? Okay, do you feel sorry about that? Good, okay. What about this one? Feel sad? Okay, good. What about that one? That, that was wrong, right? Yes, good. Okay, let's move on. He doesn't make a list. Jesus didn't come to shame sinners. He came to save sinners. He cuts right to the heart of it. Let me read this to you. He doesn't mess around. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Or in the language of a movie generation, here's a vampire. You want to know how to kill a vampire? Put a stake through his heart. The love of money is a blood-sucking vampire that is killing you, that is destroying your life, and is pulling you down into hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Go give everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. There's a stake. Over to you. Or in one simple Bible word, repent. But repentance alone doesn't save. Remember, Jesus is answering a specific question. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know God will accept me? How do I know when I die, I'm going to go to heaven? Repentance alone doesn't save. Faith saves. So Jesus says to him, then come. Follow me. To quote Reinhard Bonnke, repentance sees hell, faith sees heaven. Repentance sees bondage, faith sees deliverance. Repentance sees the ugliness of sin, faith sees the beauty in the face of Jesus. He didn't just leave him there. He didn't just say, go and give everything and you'll be fine. No, he said, then come, follow me. That's the call of the gospel. Repent and believe. Repent and give your whole life to this Jesus. Do you hear it? Do you hear the call of the gospel? Because this is universal. And then we get to the, one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. Listen to this. Verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. Do you ever see someone's face fall? You ever, you ever looked at someone the moment their heart breaks? And he went away sad because he had great wealth. I love my vampire. He's my vampire. I'm not going to stake him through the heart.
And Jesus turns to his disciples and he just says, children, how hard it is. Actually, no, sorry, verse 23. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why the rich? Self-sufficiency is our perversion. So the rich are just more self-sufficient than anyone else. They've got the cash. I don't really need God. That's why it's so hard to make God number one. He'll be first and he'll be only or you'll be lost. And Jesus makes it universal. In verse 24, I mean, the disciples now are completely amazed by it. Then he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't mention the rich in that sentence. He just makes a plain statement of fact, how hard it is for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. Because you've got to keep all the commands. And they are utterly amazed. The disciples say, they're even more amazed. Verse 27, Jesus looks at them and says, with man this is impossible. It's a plain fact. You can't keep all the commands. You can't turn over a new leaf. Sin is something done that cannot be undone. You could say, well, I'll change, I'll repent, I'll turn, and I'll live a different way. But what about the past? This is the gospel. I'm so happy. I'm so happy I get to preach such a wonderful message. With man, it's impossible, but not with God. God can save you. Not with God. With God, all things are possible. Jesus, who is God, already kept all the commands. And when God saves you, he chooses to take Jesus' account instead of yours. That's how you get to heaven. Repent and believe. Repent Follow Jesus. Is that simple? But I want, I need us to just unpack the horror of this, t- this moment with this man when his face fell. Jesus gave him the opportunity to become the 13th disciple. Come follow me. His name would have been written in the book. And here we'd be 2,000 years later using his name while I'm preaching. Was that worth a Rolex? He would have been a disciple. He would have been there at the washing of the feet. He would have had his feet washed by the Lord of glory. Was that worth an Armani suit? Or there at the the Last Supper when Jesus held up the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant that is in my blood. And he gave, would have given him the cup and he would have drunk in it, drunk in it, or drink, that's not even a word. You get the idea. <laughs> Worth of BMW M series. Or there in that awful moment, that terrible day 
at the crucifixion. We've sung about it this morning. That man would have been front row seats. And with his own eyes, he would have looked up and watched his Jesus, his Savior, dying for his sins and my sins and your sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the blood. His blood. He would have witnessed the pivotal moment in human history, the cross of Christ. Was that worth a house? What about Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost? He would have heard with his own ears that sound of a mighty wind. And he would have seen fire coming from heaven and tongues coming down and resting. He would have had a tongue of fire on his own head. Was that worth a family trip to Europe or a holiday in Hawaii? And the most chilling thing about this story is if we return to the original question as he knelt there in the dust, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man chose hell with his vampire. Don't be that man. As you listen to me, I think there are three groups of people here. And online and watching on YouTube and watching on Fox 26 or listening to me in 10 years time. God bless you. There are three groups of people within earshot of my voice right now. The first group, you've never taken that step. You've never said, okay, God, I'm all in. I'm all in now. I repent and I believe. And I choose for the rest of my life to follow you. That's the first group. The second group You know you're a Christian. You can point to the moment when you were born again. And if you can't, consider you might be in the first group. In the second group, you know you've been born again, but Jesus is peering into your heart. And you know there's something there that needs to be dealt with. A vampire, you need to stick a stake through the heart. And then the third group, then you look Jesus in the face, all you see is joy and delight because you know your sins are forgiven. You know that you're saved, you know that He's washed you in His blood. but you love the gospel and it delights your heart to hear it. And uh, you're in that third group. I want you to just close your eyes and when you're clear in your own mind before God which group you're in, I want you to stand. Right now. 
you put your hand on your heart. If you're in that first group, I just want to say, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, because you've got no guarantee you even have a tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. So in a moment, I want you to reach out and pray a prayer that I'm going to lead in as though you are reaching out for a life ring and you're drowning in the ocean. Grab it with all your might and with both hands and pray this prayer of salvation in a moment. If you're in that second group, now's the moment before God, before the eyes of Jesus, to do business with God, repent, stake that thing through the heart and say, I'm, in t- I'm, on, I'm all in, I'm in for more. I want you to have my whole heart, not just 50% or 95%. He wants 100%. And if you're in that third group and all you feel is joy before the Lord, then this is your moment to intercede for the people in the first two groups. And what we're going to do now is we are going to pray the prayer that that young man should have prayed. His face fell, but our face is not going to fall, is it? Psalm 3 says, he is the lifter of my head. So our faces, rather than fall, are going to lift up. And we are going to pray a prayer of salvation, a prayer of rededication, a prayer of all in Jesus. I want you to echo my voice. I'm going to to pray a sentence. I want you to pray a sentence. Father God, today I've heard your word. And I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I have broken your commandments. And I'm sorry. And right now, I choose to stake the vampire. I repent. Wash me clean with your blood. Cleanse me of sin. Take it all away. As far as the east is from the west. And right now, I confess with my mouth. But I believe in my heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. I come to you now and I give you the rest of my life. I choose to follow you, Jesus. I declare I am a child of God. I belong to Jesus. I am born again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. That was, uh, that was part one. Now for part two. Um, I really believe with all my heart that God confirms his word with signs. And that miracles, healings, Signs follow the preaching of the gospel. And um, I want to pray for anyone here. You can just stay where you are. 
for a moment, we're just going to have a time where we invite the Holy Spirit to come. If you've got a neck pain that just won't go away, really stiff neck or there's something wrong with your neck and it's causing you pain, God's healing you now in Jesus' name. Um, someone has a right arm uh, like um, carpal tunnel syndrome. It's affecting their work. It's affecting them. God's healing that now. And then this word I had about um, bones. There's a verse in Proverbs. I've not seen this before. I know I'm using it out of context, but I like it. Proverbs 15.30 says this. Good news gives health to the bones. And what's the, what's the gospel mean? Good news, right? So I'm just going to apply that. If you have any kind of bone problems, uh, osteoporosis, brittle bone, uh, bone spurs, issues with your bones, anything uh, where, that is bone related, I declare of you now Jesus is healing you. Be healed in Jesus' name. And just put your hand anywhere in your body where you have any pain at all. Father, I'm asking you to confirm your word with signs now. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord Jesus. Your name is Healer. We just declare healing over every single person in this room. Man, if you just sit for a moment, if you were in the first group and you stood and you said to God, I'm in the first group, and you prayed that prayer and you took hold of that life ring, can you come and tell me or Dan before you leave today? Just come over and let me know or Dan know because we'll pray for you and encourage you and it's helpful to know. And if someone and you know and if if you know someone's been praying for you and you know who that person is, because I don't believe anyone gets saved without someone praying for them. It just always works that way. Someone's praying for you. If you know who has been praying for you, can you just tell that person? Because it will encourage them, but it'll also it'll also, you know, let them know that they they, they need to keep praying for you. Is that all right? Hallelujah. Jesus, we just thank you for today. I thank you for your love, for your all-knowing and all-loving. Father, I thank you that you're holy more than we could possibly understand. But you made a way. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you made a way where we could be saved. We thank you for the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation and it is a delight to preach it. Amen. We have a pastoral care team that will be at the altar here. I'd like to ask if you check it out uh, anything that was healed either today or 
or a couple weeks last week when I was preaching or a couple weeks ago when Miguel was preaching, you've seen a change. I'd like to invite you to come up just for a few moments and let the pastoral care team bless that, bless that and seal that. Or if you'd like prayer for anything, body, soul, or spirit, we have a team up here. It's good to respond to the Word of God, and the Spirit of God in the moment. Um, jump into the pool and the water is stirred, you might say. So I want to thank you for being with us today. I know the Word of God will have it, will not return void. It will have its effect continually in our lives. It's been a very good uh, surgery for many of us today on the inside. And uh, so just let God's healing and God's blessing, that surgery, do its good work. And uh, I want to thank you for being with us. Remember, we love you. God loves you. May you have a super day and a super week. God bless you.